Greetings, seekers of the spectral and explorers of exotic realms. Welcome back to your beloved beacon of myth and mystery, episode 11 of Fireside Folklore with Hades. In this magical world of learning and laughter, we revive age-old tales, each a gem mined from the rich depths of global folklore. I am Hades, your enigmatic host, the keeper of secrets and the weaver of tales. I am joined by my two outstanding co-hosts, Persephone, my radiant consort, whose grace and wisdom shines as brightly as the DS of Diwali, and Hermes, our quick-witted nephew and most crucial to me, the Psychopomp. For those who find that word daunting, don't worry. It simply means he's our astute and mischievous guide, able to navigate the realms where these stories take place. Now, in our last gathering around these flickering flames, there were whispers and wagers that I, your humble narrator, might don the mantle of a certain deity in tonight's tale from India, the princess and the god. Ah, uh, but in a twist befitting the gods themselves, I've orchestrated a delightful surprise. Ladies, gentlemen, and ethereal beings, allow me to introduce a very special guest. In an unprecedented act of celestial collaboration, I've persuaded none other than Lord Yama, the revered god of the dead in Hindu mythology, to join us. Yama, it's an honor to have you play yourself in our narrative. Truly, who could do it better? So gather close and let the hypnotic dance of the firelight enchant you as we explore the thrilling tale of the princess and the god, a story from the heart of India. Friends, let the storytelling begin. Hello, everyone. It's a real treat to be with you tonight as we delve into the thrilling tale of a princess and how her love impressed the god of the dead, Lord Yama, from Hindu mythology, so much that he willingly released someone from the clutches of death itself. I don't even think you've done that, have you, my love? Well, there was Orpheus, but he didn't. Ah, uh, never mind. That is a myth we may tell another day. We're telling Lord Yama's story tonight with his blessing. Hermes, thank you once again for finding him and bringing him onto the show. Absolutely. It was awesome to scour the world in search of Lord Yama. His realm was not easy to find, but I'm so glad I did. Thank you for agreeing to join us on the show, my lord. Greetings, listeners. I am Yama, Lord of the Dead in Hindu mythology. It is my honor to step away from the solemnity of my realm to help tell this tale from my people. When my brother Hades asked me to make an appearance on his show, I was honored to do so. True, I was outwitted by a clever and devoted princess whose love for her husband caused her to follow me to the very entrance of the underworld. But even I possess a sense of admiration for those who defy the boundaries of life and death for love. Now, before we begin our tale, let's hear the fun facts you unearthed about India, Hermes. Well, Uncle Hades, I was so engrossed in my task of finding Lord Yama that I actually didn't have time to do any research. Don't worry, I found some interesting facts. Did I hear you correctly? You, brother, you? Let's hear them then. Just because I found them doesn't mean I want to read them. I think that honor still rests with Hermes. Hermes, my boy, please read these fun facts about India. Hmm. If Dad is asking me to read facts, then I can't help but think that there must be mischief afoot. I can't imagine that he wouldn't want to get all the credit for these facts. Still, my curiosity about India outweighs my caution. So, without further ado, here are this week's fun facts. 1. Taj Mahal. This is one of the seven modern wonders of the world. It is actually a tomb which was commissioned by the grief-stricken emperor Shah Jahan in memory of his beloved wife Mumtaz Mahal, who had passed away during childbirth. It was built between 1632 to 1638, with the secondary buildings and decorations being completed by 1643 and 1647, respectively. 
The Taj Mahal's intricate design blends Persian, Islamic, and Indian architectural elements, forming a harmonious fusion that represents the cultural diversity and artistic prowess of the Mughal Empire. The mausoleum is adorned with stunning white marble, intricately carved with floral patterns, and adorned with semi-precious stones, all meticulously handcrafted by skilled artisans. Its central dome, crowned with a golden finial, seems to touch the heavens, and four towering minarets grace its corners, emphasizing the symmetrical grandeur of the monument. Inside, the cenotaphs of Shah Jahan and Mumtaz Mahal rest in eternal slumber, while the actual tombs lie in a lower chamber. The interior boasts intricate calligraphy from the Quran, decorating the walls with poetic verses that celebrate the divine and the afterlife. It stands as a symbol not only of love, but also of the limitless potential of human artistry and aspiration in the mortal realm. 2. Home of Chess The game of chess originated in India, known as Chaturanga during the Gupta Empire around the 6th century AD. Chess is a game that requires strategy, intellect, and patience. In Chaturanga, the pieces represented different elements of ancient Indian warfare, infantry, cavalry, elephants, and chariots. Over time, as the game spread to other parts of the world, it evolved into the chess we know today, with its familiar pieces like the king, queen, knights, and rooks. Chess is not only a game of strategy, but also a game that encourages critical thinking and problem-solving skills. It's a game that has captured the imagination of people worldwide and continues to be a popular pastime, even in the digital age. 3. Kumbh Mela The Kumbh Mela, a massive Hindu pilgrimage, is considered the world's largest peaceful gathering, visible from space. This extraordinary event takes place in India periodically, rotating between four sacred locations, Prayagraj, Allahabad, Haridwar, Nashik, and Ujjain. The Kumbh Mela attracts millions of pilgrims from all over the country and beyond, coming together to bathe in the holy rivers, seeking spiritual purification and blessings. What makes the Kumbh Mela truly remarkable is its scale and organization. Temporary cities spring up near the riverbanks to accommodate the vast number of attendees, and the whole event is a mesmerizing spectacle of devotion, spirituality, and cultural richness. Pilgrims and sadhus, holy men, gather to participate in rituals, discussions, and religious ceremonies. The most significant highlight is the Shahi Snan, Royal Bath, where thousands of devotees simultaneously immerse themselves in the sacred rivers. The Kumbh Mela is not only a religious gathering, but also a testament to the incredible unity, diversity, and cultural heritage of India. It's a place where people from all walks of life come together to celebrate their faith, making it a unique and awe-inspiring event that can be seen from space due to its sheer magnitude. Excellent. Thank you, Hermes. It was a treat to learn about one of my favorite games. Despite playing chess for centuries, I never realized that it originated in the great country of India. Now, before we hear the tale of the princess and the god, let's all rise as we listen to our host country's national anthem, Janagana Mana.
Without further ado, let's hear the tale of the Princess and the God, a well-known tale from India. Our revered Lord Yama will be playing himself. Princess Savitri will be played by Demeter. Prince Satyavan will be played by Apollo. Prince Satyavan's father will be played by Poseidon. Savitri's mother will be played by Hestia. The goddess Savitri will be played by Artemis. And the prophet will be played by Hephaestus. Many years ago there lived a king and queen who could not have any children. No matter how much they prayed, it seemed that they would not be able to have an heir. Finally, one night, as they prayed by candlelight, the goddess of the sun, Savitri, appeared before them. We have heard your prayers and our hearts have been moved. Therefore, you will soon become the parents of a baby girl. Oh, thank you, noble Savitri, goddess of the sun. We shall name our child after you. Your daughter will live a noble life and do heroic things. Live well, dear queen. True to her word, the queen named her daughter Savitri after the goddess of the sun. Savitri blossomed into a kind and virtuous princess. When she came of age, her mother encouraged her to find a husband. I know that you have not had any suitors approach, but that, my dear, is because you are of such an outstanding caliber that they fear marrying you. Journey to neighboring kingdoms, and I assure you that you will find a prince who will be your equal. Savitri set off on a journey, praying to the gods to lead her to a man with noble qualities. One day she arrived in a kingdom that had been ravaged by war. Its king had been blinded by his enemies. The royal family's palace had been ransacked, and their only remaining heir was now living at a hermitage. The prince, a lad named Satyavan, was busy chopping wood. He seemed dedicated in his work, strong of body yet gentle of spirit. Savitri felt drawn to make the prince her husband. Mother, I have found the man I wish to marry, Prince Satyavan. Though he toils, I see goodness in him. My daughter, if you feel he is worthy, then seek the king's blessing. Wise king, I ask your permission to marry your son, Prince Satyavan. Though we are poor, you do us honor. I gladly grant my permission and blessing. Joyous preparations were made. However, a revered sage who could see the future arrived at the wedding unannounced. After gazing upon the couple, he insisted on speaking privately with the princess. My dear, though noble and true, your husband will die in just one year's time. If you go through with this marriage, you will be widowed while still a young bride. Consider wisely before you proceed. Dear Sage, while your warning weighs heavy, it does not sway my heart. I will stand beside my love, no matter how brief our time together may be. And so the couple wed, their hearts full despite the prophecy looming. Savitri dedicated herself to being a caring and doting wife. Three days before Prince Satyavan was fated to die, Princess Savitri began to pray fervently to the gods and fasted. She neither slept nor smiled. When the foretold day finally dawned, Savitri insisted on accompanying Satyavan into the woods to gather firewood. My dear, you do not need to accompany me everywhere. You've been too somber. You haven't eaten. You're weary. Please, go home and rest. No, my love, I shall come with you. With a shrug, Satyavan began walking into the forest with his wife beside him. As Satyavan swung his axe against a tree, pain suddenly seized him. He collapsed to the ground, his head in Savitri's lap. Yama, lord of the underworld, appeared to claim Satyavan's soul. The time has come for me to take Satyavan with me to the underworld. He took a small noose and plunged it into Satyavan's heart. When it came away, a tiny replica of Satyavan, representing his spirit, had been caught within the noose. No, 
I cannot be parted from my love this soon. Though your love and devotion are admirable, fate cannot be altered. The prophecy must be fulfilled and Satyavan must come with me to the underworld. Such is the natural order of things. Nevertheless, Princess Savitri followed Yama, who began heading south towards his realm. He moved swiftly and though it was a difficult trek, the Princess Savitri determinedly ran on. Princess, your devotion is admirable, and though I will not release the life of your husband, I shall grant you a favor as you have impressed me. What is it that you desire? Please grant sight and restore the kingdom of Satyavan's father. His sight and kingdom will be restored. On they went, passing through thickets of brambles. Though the thorny bushes parted for Yama, they tore relentlessly at Princess Savitri's clothing and scratched at her skin. Nonetheless, she forged on, determined to continue her pursuit. Princess, you cannot follow me into my realm. You must make peace with the fact that your husband's time has come. I assure you that he will have a place of honor in my kingdom, for he has lived a virtuous life. Still I am moved by your devotion and will grant you another favor, as long as you do not ask for your husband's life. Please grant many children to my father. It is done. Your mother and father will have many more children to keep them company in their golden years. Yama continued on his journey, approaching the gates to his realm at last. Noticing that the Princess Savitri was still following him, he turned to her one final time with a sigh. Ah, Savitri, we are at the gates of my realm. You must turn back. With all due respect, Lord Yama, you take with you the one thing that brings me happiness. I cannot go back. Claim me too, if you must. Savitri, your devotion has touched me deeply. Though your husband's time has come, I am moved to grant you one last favor to bring some comfort. Ask anything of me except Satyavan's life, and I will grant it to ease your grieving heart. The princess thought long and hard, then finally replied, Please grant me many children with Prince Satyavan. Ah, princess, you ask for children fathered by Satyavan, but I cannot grant this boon without granting him his life. You are as devious as you are devoted, as clever as you are committed. Very well, I release his spirit. With that, Lord Yama freed the spirit of Prince Satyavan from the noose, and the spirit flew back north to where his body lay. Go now, Princess Savitri. Live long and prosper with my blessing. With joy, the princess ran as fast as she could back to her love. True to his word, Yama blessed the princess and her family with everything he had promised. When finally the prince and princess grew old and wizened and it was time for their spirits to head south, they met Lord Yama with joy and went willingly into his realm, where they were given places of honor. Wow, that was such a moving story, my love. It speaks to the power of love and quick thinking. Thank you so much for selecting this one. You're absolutely welcome, my dear. Now, what recipe did you pick for our listeners tonight? I've decided to teach our listeners how to make the mango lassi. Mango lassi is a traditional South Asian drink that has gained immense popularity worldwide. Originating from the Indian subcontinent, this drink is a blend of ripe mangoes, yogurt, and sometimes milk. The word lassi refers to any yogurt-based drink in Indian cuisine. Historically, lassies were savored to cool down during the hot seasons and were often flavored with spices like cardamom and saffron. The mango lassi, with its sweet and tangy flavor, is particularly beloved. Mangoes, known as the king of fruits in India, have been cultivated in South Asia for thousands of years. This drink combines the nutritional benefits of mangoes, rich in vitamins, minerals, and antioxidants, with the probiotic qualities of yogurt making it not only delicious, but also healthy. 
In Indian culture, mango lassi is more than just a refreshing beverage. It's a part of summer festivities and family gatherings. It's also popular in Indian restaurants worldwide, serving as a delightful finish to spicy meals. Now let's dive into how to make this delightful beverage. Here's what you will need. One and a half cups of chopped sweet ripe mangoes, or one cup of canned mango pulp. One cup of plain yogurt. One half cup of milk, water, or four ice cubes. Two to three tablespoons of sugar, adjust to taste. One quarter teaspoon of cardamom powder, optional. Optional garnishes. One teaspoon of chopped nuts. A pinch of saffron strands. Four tablespoons of whipped cream. Here's how to make this delightful drink. One, if using fresh mangoes, rinse, chill, peel, and cube them. Skip this step if using canned mango pulp. Two, add the mangoes, yogurt, milk, or water or ice, cardamom powder, and sugar to a blender jar. Three, blend until the mango lassi is super smooth. It should be thick but pourable. Four, taste test and adjust the sweetness or consistency by adding more sugar, milk, ice, or mangoes. Five, pour the mango lassi into serving glasses. For a colder lassi, refrigerate for an hour before serving. Six, garnish with sliced pistachios or saffron strands. If you'd like to share pictures of your mango lassi or if you have any questions, please email me at persephone at firesidefolklorewithhades.com. Enjoy. That sounds like a divine summery treat. In the cold and chilly month of December, this drink is a reminder of what we can look forward to if we're patient. All right, Brother Zeus, who is sponsoring this week's podcast? This week, the podcast is being sponsored by Immortal Adventures, the makers of some of the greatest role-playing games out there. Their flagship title, Divine Dealings, is an epic experience you won't soon forget. In Divine Dealings, you play as a mortal hero who can bargain with gods from pantheons across the globe to gain extraordinary powers. With each completed quest, you'll gain experience and karma as you aim to complete your epic journey. Now, I know you're just dying to make deals with me. As the god of thunder, I can imbue your hero with electrifying powers like calling down lightning storms. My brother Hades can grant you dark magic from the underworld. And we're just getting started. You can also gain abilities from Norse gods like Odin, Egyptian deities like Ra, Hindu gods like Kali and more. The immersive realism of Divine Dealings is unparalleled thanks to Immortal Adventures' new Mythos technology. You can now feel the blood rain of battle, taste ambrosia on Olympus, even surf on sunbeams when Apollo is pleased. With over-the-top powers like conjuring black holes, shape-shifting into beasts, and wielding Mjolnir, this game makes you feel like you're living within myth itself. So begin your quest today, Divine Dealings, where deals are made, pantheons unite, and legends are born. Available now on PC and all major consoles, the gods await, hero. Your epic destiny is calling. They used my likeness without permission. How dare they? Dark power, I really must correct the record. Ugh. Okay, let's do that lightning round before my temper ignites. Whoa, brother. I've never seen you quite so charged up before. Very well, let's start that lightning round. We'll have a shockingly good time. <laughs> it's because I remained static for so long that things got so bad. Even I realized I was being burned. Now then, let's have those questions. All right, listeners. Here's how this works. I'll ask three questions about tonight's episode. The first one to email me at Zeus at FiresideFolklorewithHades.com with the correct answers will win a three-month membership to Pinner, which provides screen-free content to kids, everything from music to podcasts and audiobooks. When you email me, 
please put Lightning Round with Zeus, episode 11, in your subject line and provide me your first name or pseudonym and where you're listening from if you'd like your win announced on a future episode. Are you ready? Let's go before Hades bolts. 1. In the Indian game of Chaturanga, what animals were featured? 2. According to her mother, Princess Savitri had a difficult time finding a suitor in her own kingdom because of what? 3. Who was our special guest in this podcast, located by Hermes for this episode specifically? Well, that's all we have for you this time, folks. Next time, we'll be journeying to Ethiopia, where we'll be hearing the tale of the poor man and the rich man. We hope you join us. Good night, everyone. Good night, everyone. Stay curious. Stay curious.